You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Sometimes I think we're, we're bombarded with so much new information that it's hard for us to know what to do with any of it. And I think it's good. I mean, you look in the Bible yourself, do the study yourself, and look at how many times it says call to remembrance. You're called to remembrance. You're called to remember. And I think it'd be good for us at times to have a little repetition. And there are some benefits of it, too, that I was thinking of this afternoon. And uh, we have, we, first, we have plenty of people serving in other places on Sunday mornings that didn't hear the message. And let me say also, too, as a disclaimer, it's not because I think the message is so good it needs to be repeated, except that sometimes as a pastor, I do think it's possible for the Lord to give me insight into the messages maybe that we need to look at again. And so we have a lot of people that serve in other places on Sunday mornings, and maybe you didn't hear the message this morning, and so that's one reason. Another reason would be you can visit a lot more possible applications when you are able to kind of delve into it a little bit more, and I do have more applications and different applications tonight. Um, Third, the target audience on a Sunday night is often different than the target audience on a Sunday morning. And just because we have a number of guests on Sunday mornings at times, and uh, in general, maybe they would be less churched, or they would be more peripheral, or sometimes even unsaved. And so that's one of the reasons I think would be a benefit. And the other is, uh, I tend uh, to believe that mastering a few truths is more effective than trying to manage many different truths. I don't know if you understand what I mean by that, but... That's why, as a, I'm just giving you a little philosophy tonight. That's why it's not good when a preacher's feeling feel like he wants to philosophize, okay? That's why, though, I practice expository preaching. And if you don't know what expository preaching, expository preaching is taking a text from God's Word and going through that text and then coming up with the central idea, the one big idea out of that text and presenting that one truth. And if you'll notice, Very often when I'm preaching, I'm not saying, okay, here's the topic we're dealing with. Here are three points about the topic that you can find either right here in the text or three points just from the Bible in general about this topic. And then, you know, wrap it up with the poem and some illustrations. That's more topical preaching. And I've done that. I've done that myself. I think it's important to do that kind of preaching as well. But if you think about it, the Bible is laid out in a narrative form. It's laid out. In a, in, a, in a story, not a story necessarily, it's a, a lot of times it's a historical account, but it, there are times when it's a story, it's a narrative, and I do believe that when you look at a text, when you look at a section of scripture, that I, I do believe there's one idea God wants you to get out of that. And so in my, in my mind, if we can leave this place with that primary thought, I believe we'll be much more likely to know what to do with it. And, and the way that I view it, it's almost like a shotgun versus a rifle approach. Sometimes you, and you've heard this, and I've done this before as a preacher. You, you hear a preacher gets up and he gives you so much information. It's like a, a shotgun approach. We've got the, the shell or the uh, bullet, not the bullets, what are they called? The BBs flying everywhere, okay? I, I knew I wouldn't get that right. You've got the BBs flying everywhere, okay? That's why you use a shotgun in bird hunting, because it's real small, gives you a better chance to shoot it. Whereas a rifle is one single bullet, 
And it aims, the target is right there. You're aiming in one spot. That bullet goes in one place. And in my opinion, that's why I tend to preach in an expository manner. Because I would rather that you leave a place with one thing to do, one idea to focus on, rather than five or six different applications or different focuses. The shotgun approach sometimes can be a little bit overwhelming to know what to do with it. So just to give you a little bit of philosophy, I do think that on a Sunday then, that if a person, a guy gets up and preaches on Sunday morning one truth, and then he comes back to it on Sunday night with a little bit more targeted application, uh, maybe fine-tuning a few things a little bit, uh, maybe you won't feel, as I do sometimes, overwhelmed at what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do with all the information I got on Sunday? Because the truth is, the Bible does say in James chapter 1, that we, that we have an issue with hearing and not doing. And I believe that the independent Baptists, um, as a general rule, you hear more preaching and teaching than even most denominations. A lot of denominations have gone to one Sunday morning service a week. And that's all they get. But here, if you come to Sunday school, you hear a message in Sunday school, you hear a message Sunday morning, you have a message Sunday night, you have a message Wednesday night, and you're getting four ideas thrown at you every week. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with all this? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel overwhelmed with all the information. So tonight, so when I do this, not that I feel like I have to justify it, I I understand that you understand this and you're on board, but I want to explain to you why I'm doing it. Because we can be the best hearers and not always the best doers. We've got a lot of information to take in, and sometimes we get in the cycle of hearing and not doing. And maybe a message or day like this will help keep us out of the cycle. It gives us one thing really to focus on. So I'm going to ask you to do your best to engage and listen. And even if you heard it this morning, it could be that the Lord has something for you that you didn't get this morning. And uh, I, that's happened to me many times. I'll hear a message once, then I go back and listen. I'm like, I didn't even, it doesn't even sound like the same message. And yet I got something new and helpful out of it. So it won't be the exact same message tonight, but I do, I will cover some of the same things and I hope the application will be helpful. So let's be, we're going to read Genesis 4. Let's stand together. We'll begin in verse 16 as we did this morning. And again, this is immediately after God judges and banishes Cain for murdering his brother Abel. So let's begin reading in verse 16. It says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad beget Mahujael, and Mahujael beget Methusael, and Methusael beget Lamech. And Lamech took up unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bare Jabal, he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron, and the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and seventyfold. 
We'll end our reading there. You can be seated. Thank you for standing out of respect of God's word. Tonight, uh, the message that I'm, it's very creative. It's called In Nod Without God, Part 2. Okay, so it took me all afternoon to come up with that. I titled it this morning, In Nod Without God, and, and I wish I could claim that is an original title, um, but I'm pretty sure I read it somewhere uh, because normally my, my rhyming skills don't come that readily. So, In Nod With God, Part 2. It's amazing how fast technology is advancing, isn't it? We talked about copy machines this morning. I know the, the, uh, the exciting world of copy machines today but there are so many other ways in which technology is advancing and, and it re- advancing rapidly. Just think, I mean, think about the television. At first, TV was a luxury item owned by just a few. And now, honestly, uh, it's probably the most dominant daily influence in many American homes on a daily basis. You think about an influencer that's not a person but outside the family and maybe even in some homes the primary influencer in a home. I, I'm, looking, I'm thinking about even other, other technology. You think about the first VCRs and the first microwaves. Saw a video this week and, and something happened inside a home. I think there was a leak and the ceiling caved in. And I mean, everything just got ruined. Aaron and I are watching it. And so, everything just got soaked with water. Everything fell in. And the, the one thing the guy says is, did it get the microwave? Like, so that must be like his one form or one means of cooking. Or I remember when microwaves first came out and, and people said, you know, I'm not going to get a microwave because I'm afraid of, of the radiation coming from the microwave. I, I remember as a kid, somebody, I don't know why I remember this. I was probably four years old and I remember somebody telling my parents that. So watch out for those microwaves, you know, they're, they're, they've got lots of radiation coming out of them. I, I also remember when my par- parents first bought our, our first VCR. And at the same time, I remember my best friend's parents bought what's called a Betamax. Anybody remember what a Betamax is? We've got a few in here. A VCR is what you and I, grew, it became the standard. A Betamax was, was like a VCR, same concept, but the tapes were a lot smaller. And, and I remember my, my friend showing me their new Betamax, and, and I thought their tapes were so much cooler than our VHS tapes. I don't know, I mean, I don't even know why you would have envy over something like that, but I remember that as a kid. Thankfully, the VHS, the, that format, uh, one out was the more popular format, and Betamaxes all but disappeared. Communication. You think about communication and how advanced communication has become. And I remember again as a kid uh, watching reruns with my dad of the old Star Trek, the 70s, the original Star Trek with Captain Kirk. And I remember him pulling out that little communicator and he'd flip it up and he'd talk on that communicator. And, and I remember when flip phones came out and I was thinking, I mean, this is right out of the show. I mean, Star Trek. I mean, they saw the future. I mean, I, and, and cell phones. I'm thinking about cell phones now. You know, I mean, it seems like these days just about anybody out of diapers has a cell phone. I mean, it wasn't always that way. Kids, I mean, kids, they don't know anything except cell phones. But I remember, and you remember this too, I remember leaving for college. It was over 700 miles away from my home. I remember getting in the truck and my parents closing the door behind me and just said, call us when you get there. 
I mean, that's the way it used to be. And now, you know, if I get to Walmart without my cell phone, I'm like, is this allowed? You know, I mean, am I going to survive this trip without my cell phone? What if I need to ask Erin, which I inevitably do every single time? What if I need to call her and ask her about some item on the list? And then I think, oh, wait, my list, it's on the cell phone. So I don't even have a way to shop. You know, as thankful as I am for certain advancements, we tend to place more value on technological advancement than it deserves. See, and sure, it's helpful in many ways. we got better cars and better medical care and more comfortable buildings and all the uh, the doors of the internet has opened up. And we're streaming now. And somebody, I waved to them this morning and they said they waved back. So I'm going to do it again and get another wave back tonight. It's not all healthy, though. I mean, think of people wait outside Apple stores for days to get the newest release. And, and it's all so they can be the first one to have the phone. The average child gets their first cell phone uh, now under the age of 10. As of last year, this is the beginning of 2019, 64% of children have access to the Internet via their own personal device. And I'm not just talking about a cell phone, it could be a tablet or a computer, but 64% of children have access to the internet with their own device. And in my mind, I mean, I didn't get on the internet till I was a junior in college. And now kids, they can navigate Google um, like with the best of us. You know, and I like the idea of progress. Don't get me wrong, I want to improve, but there's some progress that isn't progress. We can be as advanced in technology as we want to be, but if God isn't present, if his presence is not part of it, then progress is meaningless. Cultural and technological advances, they present an illusion, don't they? They present this illusion. If we're advanced, if our culture appears advanced, if our technology appears advanced, then they present an illusion that things are functioning better than they are. Society, though, with that can, have a, can hide moral depravity and sin behind this cloak of progress. And progress doesn't even always mean change. Movement doesn't mean improvement. Progress without God is going backwards. And that's what's happening in Genesis chapter 4. This is the society that had its roots in Cain that were established with God. They were established. I mean, you have to believe that Cain grew up worshiping the God of heaven. His parents were Adam and Eve. I mean, they come in Genesis 4 at the beginning. They're coming to God to worship. So it's not like Cain started out as an atheist. He started out with his roots in a religious household. In a relig- his, his culture was religious. But we find in the beginning of verse 16 that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. This is after he's killed his brother Abel. God judges him and banishes him and sends him out. And it says Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And I have to say this again, sin always leads us away from God. Always. Cain finds himself, he's going out from the presence of the Lord. And he's going into a land or a place called Nod, which means wandering. Wandering. He wouldn't get right with God, and so he finds himself, himself wandering in a place without God. And I think Nod's a good name for the unsettled nature of, our, of life without God. 
You ever lived any length of time in your life without God? Do you feel like you're settled at all? Do you feel like you've, got, you've come to the place where you need to be? Not at all. When I'm not right with God, I am wandering spiritually. And you may not see it on the outside, but on the inside, everything is unsettled. And it's, there's no more miserable feeling than knowing I should be close to God and I'm not close to Him. Wandering. So Cain marries, it says, knew his wife. He had to marry one of his sisters. And it sounds weird to us, but it's not like there would have been a lot of options in that day. Um, the choices on Christian mingle would have been scarce, I think. But it was a di- <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Christian mingle would have about been like a family photo album, I think. <laughs> this sister or that sister? This sister. But it was a different time. It's part of God's plan. So Cain goes out and he builds a city. And, and this city, it couldn't have been very big. When I say city, don't think metropolis. I mean, it's just him and his family and his children. It's probably just a few homes surrounded by walls. I mean, if you think it's massive, consider that ancient Jerusalem. Historians say ancient Jerusalem was not much bigger than 10 or 11 or 12 acres. I mean, it's not, I mean that's a good chunk of land if you own it, but it's not that big for a city. It wasn't a huge, ancient Jerusalem wasn't a huge place. But Cain, though, goes to this place in Nod, and he's intent on making progress. He begins a city. And notice, though, the, the focus of his progress. He names the city after his son, Enoch. It's a sign of his, his mindset in that he's moved on from his past with God. He's moved on from his past with his parents. He's moved on from God at all, and he's embraced a man-centered future. He doesn't call it with a name that anything, that anything connected to God, he calls it Enoch because that's his son's name. And he has moved on with, without God. And I equate this, and I did this morning, I equate this with young people who are raised in a Christian household and they're raised with godly parents. But as soon as they have the opportunity, they step away from that influence and they try to cut the ties that their parents um, so lovingly gave them. They try to cut the ties with God. They try to move on in their lives without God and it only ends in heartache. I wish we could spend more time with uh, uh, talking about that Um, But it's amazing how many young people raised in church, as soon as they can, cut the ties. They move on in life without God, and they they essentially become Christian atheists. They leave God out of their lives completely and make big decisions and and, and seek general direction without God's help. But living without God, folks, it's a mark of the wicked. Psalm 10.4 says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And that's our country in a nutshell, isn't it? God has been so thoroughly removed from our lives that the average American doesn't think about him at all. And again, it's not that they're thinking, they're not concerned about him, or they're like, I forget God. No, they don't think about him at all. He's not in their thoughts at all. Where God has been removed, man has taken his place. And that's the way it normally works. If you remove God from the throne of your heart, you will find yourself sitting there. It's the way it always works. A man-centered culture, it's the kind of culture Cain was establishing. And we can start looking through this like we did this morning. And we see how Lamech took two, two wives. And, and those two wives, just a few generations removed from Adam and Eve, where God said, one man, one woman for life. And here's Lamech taking two wives. He's already just, he's cast off 
uh, all of the things that he was taught, that Cain was taught, and he's saying, but it's progress, you know? That's our society. Uh, we're, We're redefining marriage however we want, and we're saying it's progress. We're on the cutting edge of uh, of new things, where once progress is sought above God, then anything goes. And that's where we live. The old ways are old-fashioned. And people say, we need to be open-minded. We need to be accepting. Let people decide and determine their own truth. You can marry whoever you want. It's all up to you. It's your truth. And, and it's amazing how just a, uh, just a few generations after Adam and Eve, people are already redefining that first institution God ever gave in marriage. There's more progress here. And Ada says, bear Jabal. And he was the father of such as dwell in tents and such as has cattle. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. We looked at these this morning. Here he is making money with cattle. It's not bad to raise cattle. Those of us that like Texas Roadhouse, we are thankful for cattle. But it's obviously being done without God. All of it. And cattle are no substitute for the presence of God. And so we've got some even, in, in, and you know people like this, and they're all about making the money, and they're about, about making the bucks, and they're out there, and they're trying to earn their way, and they're trying to save, and they're trying to invest, and they're trying to make as much money as possible. None of it's a substitute for God. The presence of God is the only thing that will satisfy your soul. It doesn't matter uh, how much you have in your bank account. And look, we've got more than, we've got verse 21, there's Jubal, and he's making uh, harps and organs, he's making musical instruments, and, and it doesn't say anywhere that he's using it for God, and yet without God, we wouldn't have music at all. We're, we're made in God's image, and, and we have musical desires and musical gifts, but in the name of progress, most music now has nothing to do with God. And yet music is a gift from God. And I would even go further to say it's not just a gift from God. Music we inherited from God based on his nature. We're created in his image. He's a musical being. He rejoices over us with singing. It's part of us to have a musical desire and musical appreciation. And here's Jubal and for the sake of progress and in the name of culture and in, in the name of advancement. He's using music, a gift that God gives from his nature, and yet God's not involved at all. Think about the music industry today. Billions of dollars pour through that, and most of it, the vast, vast majority, not only doesn't think about God at all, but it goes directly against any of the things God wants us to do. It's immoral and wicked. I mean, just go and read, if you ever want to, just to be grieved, I guess. Go read the lyrics of the, top, of the top 10 songs on the Billboard charts. It's unbelievable what's being poured in parents. If you don't have some kind of control or some kind of filter over the things that your children are listening to, uh, you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt someday when you think, well, it's just words, it's just lyrics, and yet we find, we'll find ourselves, find them eventually living out those things that they're pouring into their minds. We go on and we see someone dis- discovers how to work with metal in verse 22 and, and they're getting rich that way. It's just another way to get wealthy and it's progress, but it's without God. And then Lamech comes back into it in verse 23 and he tells his wives, hear you my voice, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Hearken, anybody that talks about themselves in third person, I mean, they're just full of themselves, aren't they? 
He says, hear ye the wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I've slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. He's bragging about murder. He's taken a life. And, and his philosophy that he says, he says, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, Lamech seventy and sevenfold. He's saying Cain was nothing compared to me. And there's an indication of our society, of our young generation. This philosophy that's prevalent in our young people is that he matters more than those around him because he's taking somebody's life. And he matters more than those that came before him because he's exalting himself even above Cain, the one that established all of this. And if that doesn't describe our culture, a generation of young people that think I'm more important than you and I'm important than, more important than the ones that came before me. And now they're ta- they're, you know, they matter more than those around them. They're looting and rioting and canceling. They don't care about their neighbors. They're just out there in the name of whatever. I'm not even sure they know what. And they're saying, I'm more important than you, so I'm going to burn your business down. And not only that, then they're saying, and I'm more important than those that came before me. I'm going to tear down the statues of, so, of many people that founded this nation. I mean, whether or not they were involved in slavery or not, they don't care. They're just taking statues down. And they're saying, I'm more important than you, and I'm more important than the ones that came before me, more important than my forefathers. I matter more than them who built this country. I matter more than my parents who are sitting in their living room not doing anything about it. I'm more important than my grandparents who fought and died for the freedom that I have now to assemble and protest. And that's where we're at, folks. And we're seeing the only natural expression of man-centered society, which is narcissism and self-love and inflated self-importance. There's no mind to submit and serve unless you're going to submit and serve me. Social progress and spiritual decline. And just like Cain's descendants, we're in nod without God. Full of great progress but devoid of God's presence. And God's not in most of our country. God's not in their thoughts at all. So nod is a picture of progress and it represents change. And yes, it's moving towards cities and it's moving toward music and culture and riches, but it's moving at the same time away from God's presence. And without God, it's just activity. It's not forward motion. It's movement, but it's not improvement. It's going, but it's not growing. They're making advances, but they're also, at the same time, they're redefining marriage. And they're progressing culturally, but at the same time, they're diminishing the value of a soul and normalizing murder. They were in Nod without God, making progress, but getting further away from God. Social progress, spiritual decline. All that progress and no eternal value at all. I liken it to being on a spiritual treadmill. You know, uh, my wife and I, we try to, we try to jog and we, we get out every once in a while. And this summer has, for some reason, I don't know what happened this summer. Okay, yeah, coronavirus. Okay. So we got sick and I've tried to go out a few times since then. And I don't know if I'm just using an excuse, but it feels way harder. We went out yesterday and we only, we made it, we went about a mile and I was like, I love it when we're like, hey, you want to walk? 
It's like, yes, thank you for asking. <laughs> That's kind of where we are. But you know what? I, as much as I don't like to get on the, out on the streets and, and run, and, and I mean, it's just misery sometimes. But I'm telling you, it's way better than a treadmill. You get on a treadmill and, I mean, the same speed on the treadmill uh, as the streets, it feels like twice as fast. And you can go about 10 minutes and it's like my mental fortitude is gone. I cannot keep doing this. A treadmill, and the reason I think is the scenery never changes. You're in the same spot the whole time and you're just trying over to overcome it mentally. But nothing's ever changing and yet you feel like you're moving and there's lots of activity but you're not going anywhere. Lots of movement and no improvement. Lots of going but no growing. Lots of height but no depth. In nod without God. That's the way I think about a treadmill. Do you ever feel that way? Folks, I mean, just, just be honest with yourself. You ever feel like you're on a spiritual treadmill? And it's like there's so much activity. There's so much action. There's so much movement. You're so busy. You got so much going on. You have a long list of things you're trying to get done. And, and, and most of it is good. I mean, you're trying to read your Bible and you're trying to pray. And you're trying to raise your children for the Lord. And you're just trying to do what's right every day. And you're going to work and you're trying to be a witness. And you're coming to church and you're trying to be faithful. You're trying to be excited about your ministries. You're just trying and you're moving and you're going. And it's like being on a treadmill. And you're just moving all the time. But then you look around eventually and you're like, I haven't gotten anywhere. I haven't moved. I mean, I'm right in the... I'm in the same place where I started. I'm telling you, it's discouraging sometimes. You feel like you're just in one place. Like, I mean, I think about it like the Flintstones, you know, in their car. And they're just, I wish I could make the noise, the sound effect. Because their feet are just going and going, but the wheels aren't moving. I feel like we're that, I, I can be there sometimes. Can you be there sometimes? Are you there sometimes? A spiritual treadmill and you just like, I mean, lots of action and no movement, lots of, lots of movement, but no improvement and lots of going, but no growing and lots of height, but not much depth. You know, there's a lot of applications here to being in the land of Nod, but doing it without God. I think on a personal level, as I've just mentioned, it's, it's easy to look like we're going somewhere, but it's just busy work. You remember in school how you would have those teachers and they would give you these projects and you're thinking that has that serves no purpose at all. It's just busy work. And I used to hate that kind of well, I used to hate the work that was helpful, too. But, you know, I I mean, the busy work was just, oh, it's the hardest because it keeps you busy, but you're not developing anything. And And I'm afraid that we're busier, folks, as Christians, we're busier now than we've ever been, but as God's people in general, but we maybe we're almost, though, at the same time, less spiritual and less committed to God than we've ever been. We've, we've grown up in a, in a country that's made it pretty easy on God's people. Maybe we're going to see some of those things change, and we'll start to find out just how committed we are. 
just how real it is. And, and it won't be busy work anymore. It's going to be real. And we're, God, we're going to find out who's going to stand. We're going to find out who's going to keep doing the right things, even though you, you're in the land of Nod and nobody wants you to. You know, don't be satisfied with movement without improvement. I think a lot of Christians, they base the success of their Christianity on how much they're doing. While God's just waiting to see how much we're growing. And, and I'm not saying don't be busy for the Lord. I'm saying don't be busy for the Lord and, and have that be the extent of your relationship with God. I think about in finances. You know, there's this pressure to keep up with the Joneses. And I'm, I'm preaching here tonight. We've got a number of young couples. And we've got some out of town. I'm thinking about young or newly married Couples in this class in the room, they're in the couples class. Brother Chad was excited, I'm sure, to get to inherit those. Brother Juan is not as excited because they all left his class. There are worse ways to lose members, though, Brother Juan. So you've got these people, these young couples, and there's this pressure then in life to keep up with the Joneses. And maybe then we're, we're seeking to make progress with nicer house or a newer car. And we, we think of got to have the things. It's amazing. And I felt the pressure as a younger couple. Then you feel the pressure to have what your parents had right away. And not considering the fact, folks, that it took your parents a long time to get what they have. And it's easy, though, to want to have a newer house and a nicer car or to appear like we're making progress, but without having the means. And I know this is really specific, but, you know, God would never sign off on you putting yourself at financial risk just because you want to keep up appearances. And sometimes it's good for us all the time. It's good for us to be content with the things such as we have. I mean, be thankful that God blesses us with a roof over our head at all. Be thankful that we have a car that gets from A to B. And who cares about progress for your neighbor's sake? I mean, who cares about impressing somebody else? And, but I think a lot of young couples, they put themselves in a bind for appearances' sake. And it's not worth it. And that's a nod mentality. If there's any group of people on earth that shouldn't be that concerned with the material things, it should be God's people. Because we know in the end what really matters the most. I think about in our homes. This morning we looked at the danger of getting caught up in technology in our homes and with our children. And many families spend the vast majority of time in front of a screen and it's easy to default to it. And we have to be careful of it in our home. But our families are worth, dads and moms, our families are worth the effort to fight against the threat of having to constantly be entertained. I mean, it's good to turn off the video game sometimes. It's good to give them a day where they're not allowed to play it. It's good to say this is a no-screen day. We've got, we're not going to have any screens on today. We're going to actually go fishing, or we're going to go outside, or we're going to play a game. And I hate games, and here I am preaching about it. I don't like board games very much. And here's why, because I don't like to lose to my children ever. So, But they, they smoke me in Candyland every time, so... It's fun and nod. It's entertaining and nod. But if it's more important than God, it will not help in, or be a spiritual benefit to your family. I think about families in education and, 
And I, I'm thankful for good education. I'm thankful um, that, that we, I mean, I want our children to get good grades. I'm thankful for that. We, we push them to do it. But for some families, not means the progress of education. And in the end, that's what matters the most for their children. They're all about test scores and they're all about aptitude and they're all about scholarships. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad things. They're not unless we're pushing our kids to prioritize their mental education over their spiritual education. And we ought, we ought to have children that are, that are working their hardest and doing their best, and they ought to strive to get good grades. But progress at school means nothing if we raise kids that get straight A's on a test, but D's in moral character. We should, we should not be content to raise children. Well, they got a scholarship. That's progress. That's achievement. And if in their moral, their spiritual lives, we have we failed them. I think about families and sports. And, and for others, I mean, nod means the progress of sports. And that's a physical focus. If education is more mental, then this is more physical. And it's helpful for our children to be active and healthy and but, I mean, if they get to the place that they practice or compete instead of going to church, or they're more faithful to their team than their daily devotions, physical progress is far less important than spiritual health. Now, should we, have, should we strive for both? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. But never to the degree that the physical wins out and the spiritual is relegated to the background all right listen our children are more than minds and bodies your children are more than a mind and more than a body and as good as it is to focus on those things they have a spirit and if we train them to prioritize other things over their walk with god over their spiritual lives we are training them to have a man-centered worldview which may bring progress and they may get a scholarship and they may win a few races but it will not result in God's presence in their lives and therefore that set of straight A's in the eternal scheme of things means nothing and winning those matches in the eternal scheme of things means nothing if we raise children that in their spiritual and moral character have nothing to do with God. I think about technology in church, and we talked about it this morning about choosing God's presence over the bells and whistles, and, and I stand by that. And we may use technology as a supplement to support ministry, but if at all we ever had was Bible preaching and godly hymns, we'd have enough to meet with God in a meaningful way. I mean, God's presence... It's not dependent on technology. It's not dependent on mood lighting and it's not on, to, dependent on platform smoke and, and trendy graphics. I mean, I'm, not, I'm for the graphics. I'm not for the smoke or all the, the mood lighting. I mean, sometimes we bring the lights down if we're going to be doing something unique and special in here, but we're not doing it to manufacture the presence of God at Eastside Baptist Church. We use technology but God help us if we ever depend on those things to manufacture meeting with God. I think about church activity. We also live in a church culture that says, what do you offer? 
What programs do you have for our kids? And we need more options for our young people. We need cutting-edge ministry ideas because, you know, everybody else is doing this and they're doing that. And listen, I'd love to be more creative. I'd love to have more to offer. It's not like I don't want to have more to offer. We want to offer things. But adding programs just to say that we have them so we can maybe cater to some consumer mentality, I'm not interested in that. We're, we're going to strive to have things for people. We want to. We ought to have more. But if we get to the place that we do more, but we don't consider God in it, we are in Nod without God. It's not, we're not looking for progress just for the sake of progress. And I think about technology and service, and this one may be more meddling, okay? If you'll bear with me, you know, and, and listen to my reasoning. As a church, one distinctive we can maintain is that we can come to church with a real Bible in our hands. Say, oh boy, this is going to get heavy. No, I don't, I don't mean for it to get heavy. But listen, I know sometimes you might use a device to read scripture, but members of Eastside, tell me where in society that you can go now that people aren't looking at their phones. I mean, it's everywhere. Go to the restaurant, and they're sitting across from each other, and everybody has their phones out. They're not even talking to each other. So that's the question. So tell me in society where you can go, where not, everyone's already all not looking at their phones. It's rare. I'd love it East, if at Eastside Baptist Church people walk in and say, you know, that's a place. I know what I noticed is that people, they didn't have their phones out the whole time. Tell me then in society where you can go that a group of people open an actual Bible with leather and pages all at the same time. Tell me the last time you were in a place where that was happening. And I think you're probably going to have a tough time thinking of a place that wasn't a church or a church-related thing. So listen, I'm not, I'm not bashing it if you use a device, but I am saying I think we're going to lose one of our distinctives in this culture if we, if we put the, leave the Bibles at home and we come and we read our Bibles on a device, on the same device in which we play games and take too many selfies. <laughs> Maybe you don't take selfies at all, Okay. Boy, that's meddling. I, I should move on, shouldn't I? Well, but listen, I hope that you'll hear, you'll hear the argument. There are not many places left in our society where everyone's not on their phone. And there are even fewer places. You say, well, what about a movie theater? You're not supposed to take your phones out. Okay, I get that. But tell me the last time you went to a movie theater and everybody pulled out a Bible and you heard pages turning at the opening credits. You say, I only go to Christian movies. It happens all the time. Okay, fine. That's... <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? The argument there. I'm not, it's not even an argument. It's an appeal. Let's not lose that distinctive. I think that could help us to remain distinctive, distinctive even in a church culture where everything's moving to a screen. It'd be nice if we keep God's word in a pure, the purest form we can in our laps and we open it. I love to hear pages when I ask you to turn to a scripture. Just does something for me. Okay, moving on. You're saying, well, you're the guy that got rid of our hymnals for the last six months. And I, I mean, I've repented of that. I put them back in the pews today, so. And I think hopefully you'll understand my reason for that. 
You know, there's a lot of, I think about church growth, and there's a lot of pressure out there to grow as a church. But most church models follow business models, church growth models. They follow business models, and they say, this is what you should do, here are the steps you should take, here's how you operate. But listen, I don't consider it real growth if it leaves out preaching and discipleship. In the end, if we want Eastside Baptist Church to reach more, then number one, you're going to have to get passionate about listening to preaching and and doing something when you hear it. But second, it's time for members of Eastside Baptist Church to say, this is somebody I brought along as a disciple. I mean, who's, who's under your wing? Uh, who, who could you bring uh, to this service tonight to say, listen, I brought them along as a disciple. I walked with them in their steps, their baby steps as a Christian, and, and I, brought, I helped bring them along by taking God's word and going through some material and investing in their lives. And listen, I, I was about to start kind of a program a few months ago, and it's time to get back to something like that. But you know what I'd love? I'd love if at Eastside Baptist Church, uh, we're a church full of people that love people enough that I don't ha- you don't have to be asked to bring somebody along. You look around and say, hey, I wonder if somebody's investing in them. And hey, would you like to meet for an hour a week, one hour a week, that's all. And let's go through God's word together. And I want to invest in you. Listen, I think the preaching is important and I think outreach is important. But as a church, I'd love to see us take a step in the area of discipleship. It's part of the Great Commission. And we're looking for church growth. Yeah, we want to grow, but not, be, not because a business model says this is how you do it. I'd love to do it because we open Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and we say we're going to go out. We're going to give the gospel. If people receive it, then we're going to take them under our wing and we're going to teach them God's word. That's the best church growth model I've ever heard. And let's be part of that. So, I mean, a lot of application tonight, but are you... Are you in nod without God? Going through these things and, and uh, living your life without him? Not considering him every day. You're active, but you're not seeking God's presence. Maybe you're consumed with work and, or school or technology. And listen, I know it can happen. It's easy. You know, all the stuff out there and the busy lives. And but we're wrapped up, though, sometimes in keeping up with the Joneses and having the newest stuff. But that's not without God. And as I mentioned this morning... Your life can be full of progress, great progress. But if it's empty of God's presence, you don't have anything. And I know that's a harsh, thing, a harsh way to say it, but if you have your life is full of stuff, but it's, not, but it's empty of God's presence, then you don't have anything of eternal value in your life. And honestly, the most miserable people, I said this this morning, that I, the most miserable people I know are those whose lives are full of everything except God. Friend, are you on a spiritual treadmill? And you're running along and there's lots of activity and you're trying to keep up at work and school and friends and there's lots of movement but no improvement. If you were to look back on the last year of your life, you'd say, yep, not much has changed. Spiritually speaking, September 6th, 2019, I was just the same or better off than I am right now. You've had plenty going, but just no growing. You're on a spiritual treadmill in the land of Nod, and the only place you're headed is away from God. And it reminds me, and I was going to have you turn there, I won't, but just listen. It reminds me of Exodus 33. 
That reminds me of Moses and, and God's interaction there. And you could go back and read this when you get a chance. But the Jews were so rebellious in the wilderness. So God comes to Moses there in Exodus 33.1. And he says, you go on to Canaan. I'm not going with you. And then in verse 3, it talks about how the people and Moses, they don't like the sound of it. They're like, we don't want to go. We don't want to go without you. So Moses goes into the tabernacle to meet with God. And in verses 12 and 13 in that passage, he basically comes to God and says, how am I supposed to take these people to the promised land without you? Please come with us. Take care of your people. These are your people. I can't do this without you. And God's response to Moses' humility is in verse 14. And he says, God says, okay, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. To which Moses responds in verse 15, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. You know what he was saying? He was telling God, listen, if you're not going to go with us, I don't want to go at all. If your presence is not with me, if your presence is not with us, then I'm staying right here. Don't even bother taking us into the land. See, Moses wanted nothing to do with leading the people into Canaan if God wasn't there. And he was saying, I'll give up progress if I can't have your presence. I'll stay right where I'm at until I know that your presence is with us so that we can move forward. Because Moses knew going into the land was not progress without God's presence. So how committed are you to the presence of God in your life? Are you so committed that you'd be willing to do something drastic before you move on without God's presence? You'd be willing to take a day off work to meet with God and get things right. You'd be willing to, to quit your job if that's the reason you're in not without God. You'd be willing to take some time off school if that's the reason you're in not without God. You'd be willing to take some drastic measures. You'd be willing to get rid of your TV if it meant God's presence. You'd be willing to get rid of the data on your phone and go back to something ancient like a flip phone if it meant that you could have God's presence. That's what Moses was doing here. He was telling God, listen, if, you're not, if your presence is not with us, don't even carry us up. We don't want to, I don't want to go because progress without God's presence is no, present, is no progress at all. God, if thy presence go not with me, I don't want to take another step. I wonder if maybe that affects the, the way you start your day. And you get up and you say, God, I don't want to start my day at all if your presence isn't with me. Maybe that affects the way that you witness to somebody. You say, God, if your presence isn't with me, I can't even witness to this person. I'm not even going to pretend to do this in my strength. If you get it before your class and you're teaching, you're like, that's second and third graders. But if in your mind you're thinking, if God's presence isn't with me as I teach, I'm not even, I don't even want to teach. I'm not going to teach until I have God's presence. As you lead your family, dads, and every day you say, I'm not going to do this on my own strength. I'll blow this thing up. I need God's presence if I'm going to be the kind of dad that my children need. Before you go to work, say, I'm not going to even go there 
if I don't have God's presence. This is how important it should be to us, folks. And let not be a lesson to us that God's presence is always superior to great progress. Get off the spiritual treadmill and actually go somewhere in the presence of God. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.